I called them and I haven't heard from them in a couple of weeks and I want to check in. And so how would you coach me on that? So I might say, Scott, okay, so I need you to reach out to them, leave them a note that says, hey, no need to call back. I'm getting a pulse check on where you are. And then because I love humor, I might say, because I feel like you're ghosting me. Are we in a relationship? You know, I might say something funny, like humor, just to kind of break that kind of awkwardness and then say, I'm just going to send you some information and then I will circle back with you in a week. Hopefully that'll give you enough time to kind of noodle with it. And if there's some things that you feel are giving you pause, let's jump on the phone so we can talk through that. No need to make a decision. Right. That script that you just shared with me will literally work for almost anything. Like literally fundraising. Mm -hmm. That was fantastic. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Do you ever struggle with making calls or asking for referrals? If so, you're going to absolutely want to listen to this conversation I have with Keishana Palmer. Keishana is a professional fundraiser, and for the last 20 years, before getting into leadership development and training, she has built fundraising teams, and she's had a high success rate. And one of the things she said to me, which was really interesting, she said that most of the people that she has recruited and trained are still in the industry, even though most people burn out, because it's pretty challenging to ask people for money for all the time. So in my head, I'm thinking she must be really good at recruiting. So this is what I wanted to ask about. She goes, no, it doesn't matter who I recruit. I'm like, how's that possible? So then I wanted to know, how did you train these people? Because obviously that's a big piece of it. So one of the things she jumps into is what she calls your money mindset or your money story. And she says there's three money stories. There's fight, flight, or freeze. And I have never heard this explained this way before, and so which is super cool. But then she breaks down how she would coach each person based on their money story. This is fantastic content. Like honestly, I, I listened to this a second time because I was so excited. You're gonna love it. And then in the middle of it, I asked her to give me a script for how she would coach somebody who's trying to reach out to a client who's ghosting them. And she's not a mortgage broker, but dang. So it's fantastic. You're going to love this episode. I'm Scott Packford, the founder of I Love Mortgage Brokering and Bricks Mortgage. Thanks for listening. If you stick around to the end of this episode, I'm actually going to talk about a concept called your money thermostat. So she talks about your money story, and I've heard of this other concept called the money thermostat, and I'm going to talk about what it is. I'm also going to tell you how I was able to reset mine and honestly, I've spent a fortune on it. And if I would have probably talked to Keishana, it would have been much cheaper. And in any case, I'll share that with you at the end. Before we jump in this episode, I'm gonna give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, submission platform designed specifically for Canadian borrowers are very easy to use. It's got some cool features. It knows smart docs. It knows what documents your client needs based on their application. It's got smart submission notes. It pulls key data from the app, puts it into the notes to send to your lender and it's got connection to lender spotlight which is the most powerful tool for searching rates and guidelines check them out at lendescom slash finmo and check out this conversation with kishana it is awesome hey kishana welcome to the show hi there how are you so i'm excited to chat with you we got connected through, I don't remember how we got connected, but I, I, we had a good conversation before we turned on the recorder. So maybe tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure. Hey, friends. I'm Kashana Palmer. I'm the CEO of Management, a leadership and management learning consulting practice. And honestly, I help leaders, everyday leaders, lead well and live well, because I want you to have the career that you love. I want you to have the life that you love. And I want you to be healthy AF while you do it. 
I love that. Lead well and live well. That's obviously, that should be like TM, you know, trademark if you can. It is. Okay, of course. You're a marketer. You're not, I'm not dumb here. How did you get into this? We had talked briefly. You said you were in fundraising. I'm very interested in people think, you know, being a mortgage broker, you know, giving people money potentially, but asking people for money, especially fundraising is yes. probably is more challenging for most people. So talk to me about how you got into I mean, that. I think both sides of the coin are challenging, right? Because money is such a sore topic for many of us, whether you grew up in a family where you just didn't talk about money, whether you had it or you didn't, or you grew up in a family where money was always a challenge, right? And you just talked about it or you didn't talk right. about it. So I think that our money stories have a lot to do with how we see money as adults. And as a professional fundraiser, working for national nonprofit organizations and social ventures, my job was to really invite folks into investing where they lived and work and right. to be able to exercise that investment through this particular organization. So it was more like an invitation and not like a little tin cup. And so I got into leadership work because I went from being a director into the C-suite at 25, only a couple of years out of grad school. So I was like a freshly minted MBA. I thought I was going to be in investment banking. I ended up in nonprofit work. And so I got into this chief job and I literally was like, how the heck am I going to manage these people? Some of whom are as old as my mom, some who just graduated from school and everything in between. So I had to get focused and learn it very, very quickly. And the thing that I discovered was that I had a real knack for understanding why people do the things they do. What is their motivation? And that honestly, being a fundraiser just meant we were in the business of relationships. And so being a manager is the same. Like you are in the business of relationship. And there are politics to that. There are rules spoken and unspoken to that. But that early aha allowed me to be a student of the game and to really be able to understand that if I know what drives the team that I lead, and if I know what drives my peers or have a good sense, and if I understand what drives my leader, then it's easier for me to navigate challenging times to be able to see opportunities to be innovative. And whereas lots of people say they hate being managers and they don't want to be in the leadership seat, I loved it. And I love right. people. <laughs> right. You're a people person. Okay. So I'm interested in several threads that I want to pull on. One of them sure. being fundraising. So you said something to me before we turned on the recorder about how you trained and coached sales people, not sales, like people fundraising yeah. and that their longevity in the business was extremely long when it's typically low. Yeah. Was it because you selected the right people or like I picked you up and dropped you back into that career today and you had to do yeah. it? Give me what you think about so that I can understand that a little bit. So I think, you know, fundraisers and folks will tell you that it's not the same as sales. Ultimately, you are trying yes. to get someone you did not know on day one to give, give a gift money. on day X, right? Yeah. And then you have to keep them in that flow to do it again. So I have trained lots of sales teams as well. It um, is, I think it's 100% sales. Like, yeah, it's relational sales. Yeah. So, But anything can be transaction, even our love relationships, yeah. right? And yeah. so it wasn't that I picked good people. Oftentimes I inherited the team. It was because... At the very beginning, I decided that I was going to walk alongside my team and that more than anything else, I had their back. And so I started to use non-business tools to guide my team. So for example, the five love languages would just become so popular in our like lexicon now, particularly, you know, the Instagram psychologist. But, you know, 15 years ago when I first, you know, stumbled onto it. It was really just used for relationships and it didn't save my marriage, but it definitely became a really key 
cornerstone for my team. Every single team member, they take investment. And then I would manage to that love language because ultimately we just want to be seen and heard, period. I've never heard anybody using the five love languages for a work relationships, mm-hmm. right? So like, okay, physical touch, like, is that one that you'd... High five. Okay, high five, right. Okay, yeah. It's not like, yeah, because I mean, I'm just thinking of the work, but hey, give me a hug. Let's hug it out. No, listen, no, no, but I'm yeah, exactly. That's the high five. High five. Okay, so that's okay. So you already ran into this. Okay, so what other things did you pull from your tool belt to help you with building these teams and managing people? Absolutely. So I am a certified Clifton Strengths coach. And so I stumbled onto Strength Finder when it was still called that before Gallup absorbed them. At 26 years old, I was at a conference that was for fundraisers and I was sort of like burnt out from going to all these sessions around how to raise more money. And there was a session by a professor out of North Carolina that says, finding your freak within. And I said, oh. I, I go to that session. Oh, well, you to that session too, Scott. Right? <laughs> and so I go into this session and it's all about being able to live into the things that you're actually good at. What if you could actually design your personal and professional life around building on the things you were good at and managing the things that you sucked at. And that was like a light bulb in my head. I said, oh my gosh. So I used to, you know, be in the principal's office all the time, Scott, because I talk too much. Guess what I get paid to do right now? Talk. Yeah, now it's a superpower. Then it was a pain in the butt for the teacher. I was class president in eighth grade and in high school and president of this and president in college of the Black Student Union and president of my sorority. So my personality type and the way I'm set up was always designed for named leadership. So what I had to learn was what about being in that leadership seat really drove me. And what StrengthsFinder taught me was that I am driven by relationships. And at that time, this is years and years ago, they used to tell you like what career that you could possibly be in. Guess what they said about mine? Teacher and a fundraiser. Get out of here. Yeah, and you're like, I do both. Now you do both. Well, now you do teaching, basically. Yes, Uh, hello. And I've been a professor at Baruch for years in New York City. So I just am like, okay, they're onto something. And so then I use that tool in concert with the five love languages to set out team So find strengths and then how do you keep them and motivation and like, exactly. and like yep. relational. That's really interesting. You know, I've just finished, I've been reading this book. I read it once, I'm reading it a second time. It's called The 38 Letters That John D. Rockefeller Wrote to His Son. Have you heard mm-hmm. this? And no, actually, so John D. Rockefeller, like the thing that I learned about him is he was incredible to his team. He was amazing to work for. He never raised his voice. He never blamed them. He supported them. He would encourage them. He was ruthless to his competition. But to his team and his family, he was like, so I'm like, okay, at least I can respect the fact that he was good to his team. But in one of his letters, he talks about the fact that they won't remember the bonus you gave them, but they'll remember the letter that you wrote or the encouraging word that you gave them. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it's what you're talking about. And then the other thing he said was people are motivated themselves. So if I like doing something, if I can help that person do the thing they already naturally like to do more, like their strength, they're going to succeed. And then the company, so he put everybody in their strength. That's right. Building them company that was well ended up being monopoly and you know crushing everybody but crushing that's the side thing but that's the side but sorry different story the focus on the, 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 point, the point is is that he, he really was about his people and he wasn't this tyrant of a boss who basically said do this or i'm going to punish you it was that's right which is not what i would have expected i would have expected a steve jobs character who was larger than life and you know was domineering and not this person who really paid attention to people's motivations and so that Absolutely. sounds like something that for you, you figured out. Okay, so I want to ask about fundraising. I know this is not 
Really sure. Because if I'm a new fundraiser, picturing this as a mortgage broker now, I got to go yeah. and ask somebody for something. Give me some advice on how you would coach me as a new fundraiser to ask people for money or because it's, yep. I got to get over the uncomfort part. Like, mm -hmm. How do you do that? And this is a mindset challenge that yes. mortgage brokers will have, even if they're not fundraising because they're, yep. they're talking to people. So walk me through some advice on that. So one of the things, the first thing that we would talk through is what do you want to achieve? Like, what does success look like for you? And I know that's sort of like, come on, Kashana, everybody asks that question. But I always feel like on the other side of duh is aha. And right. so Ooh. really getting to like the heart. Of, but you should trademark that too. You heard it here TM, first. TM, TM. You heard it here first. So that's the one of the first things we would do. Then I would spend a little time with you understanding your origin money story. Because when you get oh, in the thick of that it. That is good. You know what? You're so right. Oh my gosh. Okay, keep going. No, because when I'm, you get I'm in typing, the thick of it. I'm writing, I'm writing down as you're talking. So keep going. You're, you're going to be fight, flight, or freeze when you get right. in the thick of it, right? And so as a mortgage broker, you've got to be able to go to bat for your client to ensure that they get the best financing that they can get so that they can move into their dream home or their commercial property or their investment home or whatever it is that they are looking around property. But before you even get to that, you've got to understand what really drives them. And to understand what drives them, you have to understand what drives you. And so- okay. Oh, this is like, ooh, this is good. This is good stuff. Okay, I'm loving this. So basically the first step would be, what are you wanting to accomplish? The second is, is understanding your money story. And so give me examples of fight, flight, and freeze. So, and I'm, okay. I'm gonna, as you tell me this, I'm gonna think about where I was. It's been a journey for me, the money thing. I've definitely, like, it was a challenge to make money. Like I literally felt yes. guilty about it. Correct. Like, I, I have this guilt about, I self-sabotaged often. All the I time, like, yeah. all the time. And so so, I'll, okay, give so really, yeah. I'll give you my story. Um, yep. Just really quickly. So I grew up, I'm first gen American. So my parents are from the Caribbean. I didn't know we didn't have any money. I just want you to know. As far as everybody was the same. And so I thought we were all in the same boat. And my parents had surgery and a car accident in the same six month period. And they both worked for the union. But in those days, the union took forever to do reimbursements for you for your salary. And so yep. they pretty much blew through their savings. And, you know, almost a year in, they were just really trying to like make ends meet. But both of them could not work. And so this was the first time that bill collectors started calling the house. Now I'm 11 year old, so I don't know anything about bills and bill collecting. But every time I pick up the phone, I have to be like, oh, they're not here, even if they're sitting right there. Right. And so, and it only lasted for a year and change. But what that did for me is that I stopped opening bills. Right. So what that did professionally is that I didn't want to start prospecting because I didn't want the notice, the email to come in that said, no, thank you. Right. Right. Wow. So all of those things for me went together. So I what thought would that be? Would that be like freeze? That'd be like freeze. Okay. So what's the shift I need to make if that's me, the freeze? Yep. which I think would be me too. I think that like I was raised where uh, basically like parents were awesome. They did the best they could. I don't like nobody's mm -hmm. perfect I, Same. in any way. But I think that they definitely, at least this is what I picked up, that money was kind of bad. Money's evil. And so, you know, if you make money, you're evil. But now I realize, no, it's the loving money is bad. And, you know, what you do with it can make a difference. But so I struggled with that for a long time. But what's the mindset shift you need to make from freeze to not be freeze so that you're willing to pick up the phone? So one, you've got to recognize that. That's a lot of people don't make that connection. Like, oh, that happened to me when I was filling the blank age. So right. that like recollection, I think is one of the first things that I folks to be able to get to. And then the second thing is you got to pump yourself up, right? And right. so what is your ritual that you use before you get on that phone? So one of mine is I always have a fight song. So I move from freeze to flight. I always have a fight song ready to go when I'm going to prospect for new clients, et cetera, because I literally have to get my heart rate up and my cheeks flushed 
to pick up that phone, to say yes again, to be myself. Right. So you're changing your physiology there. So this is a physiology strategy. Is there a mindset? Like I always think of things like frames and glasses you put on. And so if you look at a situation one way and then you change, you're like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I didn't. So what is the mindset? Yes. Another frame I can look at the situation that will help on top of hacking my physiology. Absolutely. So the thing that I say to every single client that I would say to anyone on my team is the answer is always no, if you don't ask. Right. So that mindset shift has to, if I don't ask, the answer is no. Right. And if you need a yes, you got to ask. 50-50 on what you're going to get. But if you don't say a word. If you have kids, I got my youngest daughter is the one who will ask for anything. And she literally, and the other kids will send her. It's like they'll sacrifice her. Hey, you go ask. And and, and, and sometimes I'm going to say no, but I'm like, don't stop asking because that skill is going to serve you in life. So If you're you're willing to ask, so you're right. If you don't ask, so that would be like a reframe of the so now talking about fight and flight so i understand how you fight never get to the ask they're great in relationship they can have the conversation they can go for the coffee they can go to the lunch they can tell you about the product they can you know what i mean but they never get to the invitation so on the fundraising side will you join me in will you consider a gift of on the sales side How do you feel about, does this sound like something you could? Does this make sense or align with where you are? Like getting to those questions so that you can walk folks to yes. Folks who are in flight mode never get there. So that if I was a flight type mindset person, I'm trying to learn how to do sales. What would you say to me? Like gave me some scripting. So that was some specific Mm -hmm. language, which is helpful. Sometimes you just need to prompt. But Mm -hmm. beyond the prompt, do you do a different physiology hack or be the same? And then- So the mindset you need to have there is, there will still be a relationship on the other side of this conversation. You are a pro. This is really good stuff. Anybody listening to this, I'm like, seriously, if you're listening, write notes. So, okay, say say that one more time because I actually want to write it down. I want people to hear it. Say that again. There will still be a relationship on the other side of this. Right. Okay. Dang, that's good. And then do you get them to do a fight song or what would you get? Or is there anything else, physiology that helps? like that, they need peace. Not, okay. not revving up. They need coming down because flight is fear. And they're going to be... The last thing they need is to be amped because they're they going to run that. faster. Right. Relax yourself. And so for people who are in flight, my client's there. So that is 10 toes down. So I need you to take your shoes and your socks off. Yeah. I need you to put your entire foot on the ground. Heels, toes, everything. I need you to relax your shoulder blades. And I need you to do some deep breathing. And I used to be like, oh, that is too woo-hoo for me. But it works. Just because you're hacking physiology. Your physiology, everybody has it. So like just to be able to just get in line and be present. Because we're already future thinking about what's not gonna work. And so that's the flight part, right? You're like, oh my God, this is never gonna work. They're never gonna talk to me again. So I'm gonna go. And I'm saying, come back, you know, (laughs) like Right. Oh, that's good. To me is one of the things. One of the things. Any other advice for somebody in Flight, before we go on to fight, is the Latinx club, but anything yeah. else you'd say about the people in flight that would be helpful for them? So you said, first one was, there's still a relationship on the other side of the For people that are relationship oriented, mm-hmm. that is a fear that is probably unexpressed. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, okay, cool. Like that's switching the glasses. The frame is like, you're right. And now I can yep. look at it. Is there anything else you'd say for somebody in that situation? I would say everybody can win. Right. That's another when you have quotas you have to meet, when you have sales goal, you feel like real or imagine that your back is against the wall. You subconsciously have an us against them posture. And so the reframe there is everybody can win. Yeah. And it's not about like tactics and sales tactics. No, everybody can win. 
Like right. you're actually in this together. You are offering something that someone needs. They are trying to understand not just if they want it, but if they need it and how to implement it. And that's your job to help guide them there. So everybody can win. Right. I love it. This is fantastic. So then, okay, talk to me about fight. So if somebody's money story is fight, give me a picture of what that is before we yes. show me how you try to fix it. <laughs> so some of us are like pretty adversarial, right? In our like, let's think about sales. You're like, I got to get it and I got to get the numbers and I got to come into it. Like, let's go. Let's do it, you know? And so for those folks, it feels like that person is an adversary. Right. And oftentimes if I track it from money story on, it's because they either had to fight to earn the kind of money they had. And these are our friends who started working at 13 or 14. They had to take care of themselves really early. You'll hear the expression of getting it out the mud. So folks who had to really like fight to find their place when confronted with feeling like the power of that choice belongs to someone else, they will fight to retain that control. Right. And so Isn't it that, so interesting how our yeah. mindset going in to the situation, it absolutely affects not only how we show up, but even the strategy we need to use to like counter some of these negative things. Absolutely. Like this is unreal. So, okay, if I'm in the fight and it makes sense, somebody who's had to fight for everything is going to, yep, and I've met people like that and they can be very good salespeople. They, they may ruin the relationship on the other side, <laughs> right? Can make their numbers, but will they keep the relationship? And so, so then how would you coach them? What's the reframe and the, is there a physiology hack and a reframe that you yeah. can share with me? So first, the reframe is you don't have to burn the people to get to the outcome. Right. And that's not just in sales. That's in leadership people. A lot of times, you know, and right now in the time we're in right now, you know, 80% of CEOs are like who report to boards, et cetera, are like they just don't want to lose their job. Right. Like that's the tenor of the atmosphere right now. And so it's easy to slip into fight mode. Like we got to get our numbers. I don't care how late you got to stay. I don't care how early you got to get up. That is around burning the people to get to the outcome. And so if you're in fight mode and you find yourself, your body's going to tell you that. That's the thing that I want you to say over and over again. You do not have to burn people to get to the outcome. It is possible to retain this relationship and still get to goal. And so that sort of mindset. So physiologically now, I need those folks to move. So I need you to go for a walk before you go talk to somebody. I need you to burn some of that energy off so that you can come into the conversation much more chill with that mantra and that physiology together. Those two things will allow you to start to back down. And then the second thing I would say is my folks who typically are in fight mode, I'd like you to write down the questions for the discussion that you're planning to have and to name for the person who you're having this conversation with, which y'all are going to walk through. Don't right. hide the ball. Dumb that down for me. I think I understand, yeah. but like... Yeah, yeah. So, so when I say don't hide the ball, I mean like, you know, when you, particularly if you're in like sales tactics or whatever, you're like, you know, I'm going to hold on to this little piece of information until I can put this carrot out like a gambit. And yeah. so what I'm saying instead is to come in a conversation and say, hey, Scott, so today, you know, we've been talking for a few weeks about, you know, this particular product. And what I really want to get out of this conversation is you being satisfied with a particular, you know, pathway that we're going to take. So I'm going to walk you through these three things. And I want to just really double click on the places where you might have some pause. So now you know why we're here, what I plan to get out of it, where I want you to be, and that you have already been invited to object. Right. Okay. That's so good. Okay. So let's play a little game now, because obviously this is awesome. You know what I like is that you're giving me physiology hacks as well as reframes like the story part. And both of those things are important whenever you're trying to overcome some self-limiting right. 
behavior. But let's say if I'm a mortgage broker and I have a lead, somebody that I talked to and they gave me some documents, maybe they're ghosting me for a few weeks. Yep. And I want to find out how would you coach me on having a conversation with them to see where they are? Because it's kind of the same thing with rate fundraising. You got somebody who's maybe going to donate, maybe not. And now, so what would you say to me? Like if I'm going to jump on that call with someone, like yeah. in terms of phrases. This is something that, you're, that you have now gotten the call and they want to talk to you. I'm going to actually make it a little harder. Let's assume sure. that I reach out to them. I call them and I haven't heard from them in a couple of weeks and I want to check in. And so how would you coach me on that? So I might say, Scott, okay, so I need you to reach out to them, leave them a note that says, hey, no need to call back. I'm getting a pulse check on where you are. And then because I love humor, I might yeah. say, because I feel like you're ghosting me. Are we in a relationship? You know, I might say something funny, like if yeah, you yeah. Had humor, just to kind of break that kind of awkwardness and then say, I'm just going to send you some information and then I will circle back with you in a week. Hopefully that'll give you enough time to kind of noodle with it. And if there's some things that you feel are giving you pause, let's jump on the phone so we can talk through that. No need to make a decision. Right. That script that you just shared with me will literally work for almost anything. Like literally fundraising. Mm-hmm. And that was fantastic. Wow. This is such a great conversation. Okay. So is there any other advice on like helping build, you know, successful teams or yeah. coaching people? Because yeah. Absolutely. So the thing that you have to decide if you are going to be a people manager, is are you people first? So a lot of times when we think about culture in a company or organization, if we just break it down to the nitty gritty, culture is a set of behaviors that you do over time, over and over and over and over again. And so what are the set of behaviors that you allow and that you exhibit on your team, in your company, in your organization? You've got to be able to identify that first. Sometimes folks are myopic though, they don't want to identify it or they just put their head in the ground. We don't need those folks. We need the folks who are willing to be introspective. And so then you got to ask your team members, what's in it for you? I think a lot of times we are afraid to ask our team members why they come to the job. So for example, if you're on my team and I work for a nonprofit organization, I don't really care that you like or don't like the mission. That's never a question I'm asking. Are you passionate about the mission? Who cares? You know what I want to know? Are you passionate about this job? Because this function, when it gets hard, better be something you love. Because if you don't love it, I don't care how much you love the mission, you're not going to want to do this work. And I'm hiring you for this work. Because if once you see the program out in action, you're going to fall in love with the mission anyway. That's a really good point. So you said, are you people first? What if you're not? Like, what if your natural wiring is like, I'm learning. I feel like I'm learning. Like, I have a fantastic team now and I'm so yeah. grateful to them. But I was not always that way. So it's something I think it is a learnable skill. But let's mm-hmm. say somebody is not naturally people first. What would you say to them? So I teach a course managing for people who don't like people. <laughs> yeah, that, that's one I could have used many years ago. Oh, yeah, because some of us, and you have those friends, right, who are like, I do not like people. Or yeah. folks who like animals but not people. And so you've got to recognize that your greatest asset, your greatest ability to generate revenue and for sustainability of your business are through the people you surround yourself with. So number one, I do not want to be the smartest in the room. Yeah. I do want to be the cutest, but I don't want to be the smartest. Number two, I want to create an environment that people are excited to come to work. If you talk to people on my team now, and there are five of us who are there full-time, five part-time, every single day from 2 to 3.30 Eastern, we close. My team members have small children, families, doctor's appointments, pickup, whatever the case may be. I don't care. That's not their lunch break. They take lunch when they need to take it, right? That is the time that we literally pause so that folks can refresh, do their life, And they come back to their work the way they come back to it. The reason that I did that is because I spent over 20 years 
working 14, 15, 16 hours a day, sometimes sleeping two and three hours a night. And for what? Right. I burn myself out. If I burn myself out, I can only make decisions that are here. And so everything is short-sighted because I can't see further than my nose. When I make those types of short-sighted decisions, that means I am more apt to run off my folks who would stay with me and grow alongside me. I do not build social capital in that way. So if we think about it in reverse, what are the things you need to do in your business to create an environment where your team members say, Scott's got my back? Right. Because 70% of the success of your team, Scott, lies on your shoulders. Dang it. That sucks. Dang it. <laughs> I have a question for you. This is my last question. And then I'm, no, sure. people need to reach out to you because this has been fantastic. If you had to give me a recipe of five things for me to do to completely screw up my leadership. So I'm not asking for the positive. I want the opposite. What would you tell me to do? Scott, plunk me in a company and I, everything's running great. But you're like, if you do these five things, you're going to kill that company. What would they be? You let your ego lead you. Listen, self-importance is a thing. Your ego is designed. I got to have an ego. So first thing is big ego. Your ego is designed to protect you. And so if you are leading with ego, that means you have some fear, some insecurities that you are trying to shield yourself from. And so your ego is the one who are the soldiers on the front. The ego is a part of the 300, right? From Sparta. And so you want to mess all of that up, lead with your ego. If you want to mess things up, Don't ask questions, just demand. Okay. You've got to be willing to slow down to say, so what do y'all think about that? And reward folks for speaking up. Right. You want to ruin that whole thing? Don't reward folks. Don't ask questions. So that'd be another one. So that'd be number three. Don't reward people for speaking up. (laughs) Exactly. The fourth thing. So first one was ego lead. Second is don't ask questions, just demand. Don't reward people for speaking up. What will be a couple that you'd think of that I'm in there to kill this company and I'm like, yes. all right, I want this thing to die. (laughs) The fourth I would say is, Lead by a terrible example. Don't do anything around your health. Don't eat right. Don't make sure you take time off. Stay at the job day and night. Neglect your family. Like all of the things that we think we need to do to get ahead actually discourage your team members from understanding how to work smartly together. Right. Because then you end up pitting them against each other because everybody wants to be able to show the boss that they got the chops. Right. And then the fifth thing I would say is hiring people who can't grow with you. So if you want to fail, hire people who can't grow. We always think we want to be expert in everything else, so, but we don't create space for us to actually be a leader coach, which is what right. this environment and this multi-generational workforce requires. It demands it. So if you want to fail, to hell with that. Don't develop a soul. Don't hire people who have room to grow. Status quo. It'll be dead in a year. This is fantastic. So <laughs> we just gave you a recipe. You're listening to this and you want to kill your company or your business. Do these five things. Sometimes I like to do the reverse because rather than what to do, it's like, I got that from Charlie Munger. He always used to say when he was a meteorologist and he's like, it's basically reverse engineer the outcome. And yes. it's like, if I wanted to kill as many pilots as possible, what would I do? And then he made a list and he's like, okay, now I'll do the opposite of that. Like exactly. so sometimes it's easier to see the negative than the positive, but then you can- like, It is. It. So. And you know why, Scott? Because many of us, we don't want to talk about it, particularly my generation, I'm a Gen Xer, proud of it. Me too. I'm uh, proud Gen Xer. We- got negative reinforcement, and that was our motivator. Yeah. Oh, I, negative motivation works great for me. Tell me I can't do something. Oh, look out. Like, I, look like, out. It's on. Like, you know, tell me I can do it, and I probably won't. I'll be like, yeah, I don't want to now. Tell me I can't, and I'm like, yeah, tell I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't want to do it. But if you tell me I can't do it, well, now I'm pissed, and I'm going to Now, exactly. So many of us actually are motivated by negative reinforcement, and because of that, we have sort of been socialized 
to look at all the things that are wrong as opposed to understanding how to replicate the things that are right. And so I think in that little squeeze, that's where my coaching and advising comes in because having grown up that way and my parents are in full denial, I just want you to know, they did the best they could. But that doesn't work for everybody. And when I was growing up, I used to say, like, our parents parented to one child, whether you had one or five or 10. Right. So we try to parent to our child because every child is different. Our parents think that we have lost our minds because they're like, if your brother wasn't successful, Scott, listen, he just fell off the box truck. Sucks for him. Right. Right. That's actually a good point because, yeah, and a good coach, like a football coach understands some players need encouragement. Some need to be, you know, pushed. Yeah. Like kicking the butt, like everybody. And it's all understanding the actual person. That's exactly right. That's exactly yeah, right. And so, interesting. so yeah, I love it. We okay, this has things. been, <laughs> I, this has been awesome. Okay. So where do people find you? If they want to reach out to you, what kind of solutions do you have for sure. people? So if you and then work, where can they find you? Yeah. So if you want to work with me one-on-one, the easiest way to do that is to head to my company's website, management, M-I-N-T dot C-O, because we put a fresh take on management and leadership and you can talk yeah. to us about, yep. yep. That is, it's hard already. And so then you could talk to us about coaching, about coming into your company to do facilitated workshops and offsites to get your folks like around their mindset. You do strategy days. So anything you can think of that helps to move your company forward in a healthy way, because I don't do unhealthy foolishness, then you're going to call us for that because we want you to be able to do the work on yourself so that you can do the work on growing your business. And so that's the easy peasy. You can follow me at Kashana Palmer on all social media. Listen, y'all, I'm probably the only Kashana you probably will ever know with two SHs back to back. I just want you to know. So just go into Google and go K-S-H-S. Press enter. I guarantee you my name's going to show up. Boom, right at the top. Boom, right there at the top. Number one, two, three, and 26. (laughs) (laughs) And then if you want to bring me into your company to do a talk, to host an event, you can find that on my personal website, kashanapalmer.com. Awesome. Well, thank you, Kashana. This has been amazing. And I love the whole fight, flight, freeze and understanding your money story to help because this is something that mortgage brokers, well, people and humans struggle with. Yes, absolutely. And this was extremely tactical. So uh, this has been awesome. Thanks. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks again for listening. Hopefully you got some inspiration from my conversation with Kishana. I know I did. I have never heard anybody explain it, money story like this before. And I have never had anybody who could in real time coach me on reframes and physiology hacks, which most people don't even think about, honestly. And then in fact, even make them different for each person's wiring. So I'm not actually surprised that Kishana's had the success she's had in her teams as well as her coaching. And so the concept that I'd heard of many years ago, and it took me a lot of time and a lot of money to overcome was this idea of a money thermostat. So we have a money thermostat, which is the amount of money that we're willing to trade our time for. And over time, of course, when you're brand new in your new job, you're going to set it at one thing, but over time we slowly increase it. But if we ever go past that, we actually feel uncomfortable. Making less is a problem, which that's one thing. Most people are like, yeah, I want to making less than I'd like. But making more than you feel your worth or worthy of is also a problem. I remember when I first became a mortgage broker because I was a paramedic for nine years before that. And I remember I made more money in a month than I did in a year as a mortgage broker. And it was cool. Like I was like, oh my gosh. But then I had a ton of self-doubt. I was like, I don't deserve this. Am I doing something illegal? Like I went through all and I literally tanked my business for the next several months through self-sabotage because I didn't 
actually think that I was worthy of it. And it's a crazy thing. It's like you think you're making more money, you should be happy. Yeah, but it can mess you up on the other side too. And so I hadn't heard about this thing from T. Harv Eckerd called your money thermostat. And you basically adjust it if it's set at 20 degrees or whatever it is. Once you set it there, you're going to feel uncomfortable if it's too low or too high. It's not just too low, it's also too high. And so the only way to adjust that is if you want to make more money over time, you got to increase your thermostat. The way that that happened for me, and that's something I'd struggled with for a long time. And I joined a coaching program, a very expensive coaching program that was full of people that were making a minimum of a hundred grand a month to like four or $500,000 a month. And I walked around, I went to the first mastermind and I met these people. A couple of things I took away from that. One, they're just normal people like me. Like there was no big difference other than they definitely were good at executing. They didn't get where they were by accident. But I realized that they weren't any smarter or any like, you know, anything else, any more opportunities. They just executed. And so I was like, huh, so if they can do it, I can do it. So that started to help me reset my money thermostat. And then being around those people normalized it for me. So what happened once I was out of that program, my money thermostat was reset to a much higher number. And so then what I would be willing to trade my time for went up. So instead of being willing to trade my time for X, it's like, no, no, it's got to be X plus or else I'm not going to do it. And so that means that I said no to some things, but then the things that I say yes to end up being better opportunities. So if you're a mortgage broker, the way that looks is you can end up, you know, one year start having some great months and things are great, but then you actually start to feel uncomfortable and you can self-sabotage, which is what I did. So what I'd say the really important thing is you got to change your peer group. You know, if it becomes normal with the people you're hanging around with, kind of like imagine you're trying to quit smoking and all your friends smoke, you're going to have a heck of a time quitting smoking. Because you're going to be like, they're going to be outside. What's wrong with you? Why are you not smoking with us? And same thing, if you are making a certain amount of money, I'm not saying you need to ditch all your friends, but you need to spend time around people that are the same so that it becomes normal. That was the biggest thing. Like there was no amount of coaching that I realized. Now, talking to Kishana, and I was like, I had some issues there that probably was some coaching and, you know, changing the physiology, changing the story very specifically to my underlying money story probably would have helped me you know, definitely would have helped me. And in any case, that was something that I learned and hopefully that's helpful for you. So there's the money story, which is how we feel, fight, flight or freeze. And then there's your thermostat, which is what are you willing to trade your time for? And we all get to set it. There was a poem I read a long time ago that I loved and it's, I'm gonna butcher it, but it's basically like we barter with life for a penny and then we get to the end of our life and we look at our measly score or, you know, what we have. And then we realize, the poet writes, you realize that you could have asked for anything you wanted, but you asked for a penny and that's what you got. And so often we say, I'm going to trade my time for this or I'm going to do that. That's up to us. In any case, hope you find that valuable. I really enjoyed my conversation with Kishana. She is awesome. Go check her out. Thanks again for listening to this episode. If you're on Instagram, come follow me. I've been doing more content on there. Maybe some clips from this show as well as other stuff. Check it out. And thanks again for listening. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.